We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Hour number two, Danny and Dusty with you. Uh, we will have on Ryan Horvat, our BetQL Network insider, talk the gambling side of things uh, coming up. A half hour from now, but wanted to bring on the look, the scribe of note, the voice of note in our fine city now, sports columnist for the Oregonian, uh, Bill Oram joins us. Bill, how's it going, man? I'm doing okay. Thanks, guys, for having me on. Look, this is a a messy situation that we have going on with the Thorns and Timbers, and uh, wanted to bring you on and just kind of talk about like from like the from the view of the a sports columnist, like this is one first, like your first real controversy here as the columnist for the Oregonian, right? I mean, you haven't had anything as, as big as this going on where, you know, you can be the, the voice of all of the Timbers and Thorn supporters and really the whole city, right? Yeah, Dusty. I mean, this is something that's been going on though, since, you know, since, you know, long before I got here, yep. it was something I was aware of, you know, when I, when I made the move to Portland and, and, um, was kind of aware of what was happening in the sports landscape here. This has been a real problem, you know, for, I mean, unfortunately we've learned, you know, eight years going back before uh, Monashim made her, her allegations and took those to ownership. Um, you know, we now know Merritt Paulson was informed of, you know, comments Mike Golub made to the then former Thorns coach um, or to the then Thorns coach, uh, who is now the head of U.S. soccer. Uh, was aware, obviously, of the allegations against Paul Riley with Mana Shim, and obviously works very closely with uh, with Mike Olive and Gavin Wilkinson on all these issues. So, I mean, I knew that this was a huge part of what was ha- happening in the state of Portland sports when I when I when I got here. But it certainly has been um, it has certainly been one of the most important things that's been going on here for a while, and it certainly has reached ahead with the um, with the release of the Sally Yates report, and then the decision made today. Bill, when you look at this and, and you kind of compare it to uh, ongoing situations with uh, like the Phoenix Suns and the Phoenix Mercury, and you look, at where, and you look at where Merritt Paulson is sitting right now, you, you, you've got the fan supporters groups that are they're, – they're basically they're – not basically, they're calling for him to, to sell, sell the team. Is there a world where you can see Merritt Paulson holding on to the Timbers and Thorns? Uh, not one that's acceptable. You know, I expect him to fight as long as possible and find ways to obfuscate and drag this out and protect himself. And I think that's why you saw him fire Wilkinson and Golub today. He realized that there was no other way out, that this was a last-ditch attempt on his part to save himself and to save his ownership. And that can't be allowed to stand. The, uh, as you mentioned, the supporters groups have made it very clear what their standard is. It was not just having Gavin Wilkinson and Mike Golub fired. It needs to be having Merritt, Wil- Merritt Paulson either removed from ownership or forced to sell. And so my latest column just went live on Oregon Live is, you know, saying that this is, you know, too little, too late. Um, he had his opportunities to take back control of his organization. He passed on those every single time and he is complicit. And this is not, um, this is, this is a positive development 
only in as much it is one step closer to the inevitable end, which is Merritt Paulson selling these teams and getting out of Portland and, and, and restoring the integrity of the Portland Timbers and Thors, which are just absolute jewels of the city of Portland, state of Oregon, in the world of American sports. And they have been completely disgraced by Merritt Paulson, who must sell these teams. We're talking with Bill Orem. He is the uh, sports columnist for the Oregonian. Now, look, I, one of the things that just kind of – it, as a, you parse through everything that was coming out, and Ryan Clark of the Oregonians has done a good job of kind of giving everybody the you know the the full view of of what the Yates report had and how it pertains to the the Timbers organization. But one of the things that made me just kind of made my skin crawl a little was Merritt Paulson thinking back to the release that he had a year ago, and then reading in this you know statement that or the Yates report that. He did know um, back in what 2015 of some of the accusations against Riley, and then congratulating his next employer after that. Um, Correct. As as we sit there and you and you think of like those missteps, and you said it's not in his nature <laughs> to, to you know do the right thing is something that really stuck out to me in your column. Merritt Paulson in kind of all of the stuff against it, do you think that it's going to be fan support or do you think it's going to be league pressure that ultimately lands Merritt Paulson putting the teams up for sale? I mean, it needs to be an all-out assault uh, from all sides. You know, the fans need to continue to to maintain pressure through their actions, through their pocketbook. I think that there need to be sponsors who say this is not acceptable. You know, the easy way out would be for Alaska Airlines and other sponsors to say, you know, we believe that, that it has been addressed in a way to create systemic change. I hope that isn't what happens. I hope the sponsors say, no, we have a higher standard. Um, and I think the league needs to get involved. And that is really the ultimate point of the column that you're referencing, where, you know, we can't count on Merritt Paulson to do the right thing because it's the right thing. He's only acting out of self-interest from what I can tell. And so somebody has to be the adult in the room. And who's that going to be? You know, Sally Yates' report, I think, laid out crystal clear why there needs to be a complete flush of leadership with these these organizations. So I'm calling on Don Garber, who is the commissioner of the MLS, who is very close to Merritt Paulson, who's very close to Merritt's father, Hank Paulson, who obviously plays a key silent role here, who needs to to get involved and needs to do what he did a couple of years ago when there was toxic ownership in Utah with both the the Utah Royals and and Real Salt Lake, where both leagues, really made it clear to the owner, uh, the racist owner, Delaware Hansen, that he needed to sell the teams or it was going to get ugly for him. And that's what needs to happen here, regardless of how much of a poster child for MLS expansion and the success of American soccer that Merritt Paulson has been up to these scandals. Those are irrelevant. He has betrayed the trust of, of the fan base, of, you know, of, of, of the, um, the structure of sports here and of and of the leagues, the leagues should be as angry with Merritt Paulson as, as, um, as the fans are. And so any, any degree of support that Merritt Paulson receives is, is uh, a step in the wrong direction. Bill, when you look at this, and, and you, other sports leagues, I think, have been uh, pretty, pretty poor in their follow-up after dismissals of ownership, or whether it be Donald Sterling or whether it be a uh, somewhat amicable behind-the-scenes dismissal of Robert Sarver in the NBA. Uh, or even in uh, in Houston with, or I should be Carolina with uh, uh, the NFL, the things continue to go on. Is, is the MLS in a position to where, and, and the NWSL in a position here to actually be better about this kind of thing going forward? Like, is there, any, do you have any hope that <laughs> that the leagues can actually manage this stuff better going forward and, and put something in place to keep this from happening again? 
you know, it would it would probably take a vote of the owners to say, you know, we, you know, to to exercise their authority to remove owners from power and to do it swiftly and you know judiciously and fairly. Um, but I think we're it's pretty clear, you know, owners don't necessarily want to be held up to that to that microscope, even the good owners. And you know, most of them I think are, but we're also dealing with a lot of billionaires and a lot of people who have a lot of interests all over the board. Um, you know, I don't know that any of them necessarily want to be held up to the microscope that Merritt Paulson is being held up to right now. So I think you're probably going to see these continue to be adjudicated on case-by-case basis um, where, you know, the league can only do so much through its actual, you know, bylaws and through, through its power. So I don't think you're going to see a lot of cases where, he, where, where other owners are going to re- vote to remove owners. I mean, it didn't even happen. It really didn't happen with, with Donald Sterling, whom you referenced. Mm-hmm. It was a case where he was given a light, he was banned, but he still owned the team and control was given to his wife, Shelly Sterling, who then negotiated a sale to Steve Ballmer. And, I mean, and that sale, you know, included a lot of weird caveats, including that she got lifetime courtside tickets at center court and to be officially designated the Clippers' number one fan. So um, these things, you know, kind of have, uh, you know, their own their own pathways. But um, I really think, you know, as much heat as Adam Silver took for um, the missteps he took with, with Robert Sarver and, and not – removing the team or finding a way to you know fire Robert Sarver from mm-hmm. from from the NBA I really think that what you saw Adam Silver do was create the path to 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 selling the the Phoenix Suns and the Phoenix Mercury which was outlining very clearly what their investigation had found and 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 you know which was inevitably going to um build outrage and frankly, you know, Merritt Paulson saying that they weren't going to respond or make take any action until the conclusion of the NWSL report uh, later this year. You know, I don't know what he thinks that that report is going to do or say that is going to make any of this better. Um, so, you know, I think that again, that is just buying time, and it will be more more information to um, ultimately force uh, his his decision to sell the teams, which is again the only acceptable outcome here. Now, have you gotten a sense from the, the fans? Because we're, we're getting the sense that the supporters are going to put their foot down and not go. Um, but that's easier said than done because that's ultimately where you hurt the ownership group is in the pocketbook. And advertisers are already taking a second look at their connections with the organizations, mm-hmm. the Timbers and the Thorns. What does your gut tell you about the the Timbers Army, the the Riveters, and what that will look like? It is is the most passionate fan base, or one of, in in all of the MLS, not going to show up for either the MLS or NWSL teams. I think I have a hard time imagining that you would look to the you know the end of the stadium for a, a Thorns or Timbers playoff game, and it would be completely empty. Right. Um, if that if that was something that could be successfully executed, that would send a hell of a message. Um, you know, I mean, people are prone to, you know, their own points of view of things. And, and, you know, a lot of people who love the teams maybe aren't caught up in the, in the, um, in the issues with management. So, I mean, I think you'll see, you know, some people stay home. I think you'll see some people show up. Um, but I also think that you'll see people show up in protest and which you've seen before. And, you know, these are organized, you know, passionate fan bases, like you said, who, you know, will not waste the opportunity, whichever way it goes. And, you know, I mean, listen, the Thorns have a game coming up on October 23rd in the NWFL semifinal. That is going to be a really, really, really fascinating uh, day. And we'll, and, we'll, and we'll get the answer. I don't know what way they're going to go, but it is not going to be, you know, it is not going to be like, oh, there's some protesters over there. It is going to be a dramatic, 
um, and symbolic, you know, performance from the, from the supporters one way or another. And I think, you know, <laughs> you know, in, in our jobs, we don't root for wins and losses, but I think that, you know, if you want to see Merrick Paulson's feet held to the fire a little bit, you probably should be rooting for uh, the Timbers to get into the playoffs and, 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 you know, one of the, it's a, it's a long shot, but find their way into a top four seed. So they have to host a game, make, make the Timbers play a game at, at Providence Park, so Merritt Paulson has to see the effects of his failed leadership right in front of his eyes, you know, on the biggest stage. That's something that I think um, is really important. So uh, it may be unlikely that the Timbers host a, a, a game this postseason, but um, it would certainly be uh, an eye-opening experience and put this on a national stage. Bill Orem, he is the sports columnist for the Oregonian. You can find him on Twitter, at Bill Orem, and uh, support his work at uh, Oregon Live and the Oregonian man being a sports columnist is, is often being the voice of the people in a city and a, a state that you work in uh, with this being like the first big controversy that you covered. You're doing a hell of a job of being the voice for the people. Uh, I think you're hitting it right on the head, man. Thank you for the time, man. Keep it up. Appreciate you, Bill. Thanks for, thanks for having me on guys. Bill Orem from the Oregonian. Uh, that is, it is such a just messy situation. Right. Yeah. On I every mean, level, the, not, the situation itself is already toxic. Then you have the cover up. It's been years upon years of a culture kind of brewing and, yeah. gr- and growing. And In that's what decade. the that's what the Yates report that the NWSL unveiled just the other day was. Yeah. No, this is something that has been pervasive throughout the organization and the organization, by the way. They are two separate teams. One participates in the NWSL. One participates in the MLS. Yes. They have operated as if it is one, one structure of power there. It is not like, you know, Stan Kroenke, right? If you own multiple teams, you have multiple front offices. Yeah. In No, it, it you are looking at the same general managers, the same executives on both the sides. same cultures. And that's one culture. Yes. And you cannot separate them like Merritt Paulson's trying to do where he's saying he's stepping away from decision-making from the thorns and not the timbers. Yeah. And that's the thing is that, and that's ultimately why he's got to go. Yep. 503-250-1080. That is the fan text line. Okay. Um, <clears throat> something really cool happened last night. And uh, I don't know if very many people saw it. I flipped over for a minute and I was in awe. Danny Dusty on the fan. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink... What you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Good 
right, last night, um, boy, last night, I think I need to go get help. I think I need help. I mean, the context from this says a lot. My gosh, because I watched uh, a half of preseason basketball. Huh, babe? And when I wasn't doing that, I watched the G League Ignite take on, what did it, when Metropolitan 92? It sounds like a, like a, a, public school in New York City. I say in New York City. <laughs> I watched uh, the G League Ignite take on a French national team uh, led by Victor Wenbenyama, who has a teammate named Steve. What is this? What is this? Steve. Oh, uh, <laughs> you fat. Oh, you fat. Yes. Steve. Ho you fat is a teammate is a teammate of Victor. Uh, Wenbenyama, and that is his. That's his actual legal name, Steve, with three E's, by the way. Yes. Um, but Victor Wenbenyama is the first time I ever got to see him play, like full basketball. I've seen clips, like you show me clips all the time. I've seen clips on on social media, and he's a seven foot four French monster, and his highlights are incredible. But watching an actual game. I totally get why all of these teams are absolutely gushing over him and trying so hard to tank because he is an incredible athlete. Athlete it, it, at seven it's, foot four. It's not a, oh, he's a big guy who can shoot. He's a unicorn. He's Chris Porzingis. No. I want people to truly understand who did not watch him play yesterday. This guy has been brewing since he was 15, 14 years old. And we started seeing these flashes of like, oh, this is like better athlete Dirk. He was he's incredible. And there's a guy named Scoot Henderson. First time I've ever heard his name before. Who would be a number one overall pick in any other year. Yep. But for Women Yama. Explosive athlete. He is a he's a point guard and he can move and he like he went up against Winbinyama and just kind of crossed him over through the lane, went kind of reversed hand. Shielded his and body. went around, yeah. leaned into him but leaned around the eight foot wingspan and was able to get a bucket. I was sitting there going, what? What is happening? Like, and this is the thing. The G League Ignite, I've always had, like, questions on its sustainability. It's real now. If this is what they do, and you bring in, like, these foreign teams that are high-level foreign teams, and they play those, you can't have them just traveling around playing other G League teams they're because playing, well, what are you going to do? They're playing 100 games this year. If you play teams like that, and you go and you see kind of, it's just basically your showcase of the next great draft mm-hmm. picks, that's where they get a little bit of staying power because that was a fun game to like turn on and be like, whoa, all right, you got a little athleticism. You see a little bit of the future there. I mean, that that's how that team and what they're doing with the Ignite, which is it's going to be, I guess, a moot point soon because it, one and Duns will be back in a couple of years. I still think this will be a viable path. But it's for kids that don't want to go to college, and now that NIL is actually a real thing, um, it's for the guys that don't want to go to school or, or any of that and just – you have a path to go get paid somewhere and just basketball, basketball, basketball. Yes. Get, get get indoctrinated into an NBA experience. And this is from Adrian Wojnarowski right. just a little while ago. That was pretty neat, though. Uh, he says, one GM tells ESPN, it feels like last night we'll start a race to the bottom like we've never seen. For sure. Because here's the thing. There have been better prospects. The, the 03 class, LeBron James, he, has, LeBron he James. was the can't-miss of can't-miss prospects. That is the bar that all others are measured by. Women Yama is on that scale. But the difference is, in 2003, tanking was not a viable strategy. 
It is now. You have four absolute no-doubt teams in Utah, Oklahoma City, San Antonio, and Indiana that are going to be racing to the bottom. That is a fact. There is going to be probably five, maybe six more after a month into the season, two months into the season, or a single injury occurs. Because the kind of the, the pressure you can put on a scale with Victor Wembanyama or Scoot Henderson, by getting those guys on a rookie scale contract, it, it doesn't, there's uh, nothing else that can do it. It's, yep. it's like getting a rookie quarterback in the NFL where you get tremendous output mm-hmm. at zero cost. Yeah, and look, it was cool. The one thing that I, I also took away from that is on the internet, uh, Twitter.com. Have you been there? Yes, I, I, okay. I, I tend to live there. On uh, Twitter.com, there were pictures of Wimbenyama. Am I saying that right? Yeah, Victor Wimbenyana. If you want to be safe, just call, just call him Wemby. Victor Wimbenyana. Uh, he's got a cool name to say. I like it. It's fun. Um, there were pictures of his feet going around. So he game. Did he, anybody else, like? Did was anybody else absolutely terrified of what you saw in his feet? His toes that were like six inches long. Yeah, Ben Golliver was the one who was taking pictures. He was doing uh, side bridges, and his feet. I, I mean, he's seven foot four, so he's probably. A size 22, 23, maybe more, maybe 25. I don't know. But his, his toes are as long as my fingers. It was terrifying. Um, I'm going to retweet. Was it You said it was Golliver that had the photos? Golliver had it. Of him stretching. Yep. And uh, oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. It, it, like, you don't realize. We talk about, like, these seven-footers with foot problems, right? This is why. <laughs> and you just look at it and you go, that is supposed to sustain a seven foot four body, and he's rail thin, right? I bet he's still like what two fifty, two sixty. Okay, and here's the terrifying thing: Gulliver also retweeted that. I'm I'm gonna grab it from my account right now and retweet it. Victor Wemanyana's shoes are right next to Gulliver's. Gulliver's six five and wears a size thirteen. Yeah, he's a big dude. Gulliver's shoes look like a little kid's next to Wemby's. It's terrifying. Yeah, he is an enormous human being. But if you look at those feet and what they're supposed, if he's going to put on more muscle, and he actually is very muscular in his frame, he doesn't he, look like it makes sense. He doesn't look like he is uh, like bulimic like some of those guys are that are that big and, and long. But you sit there and you go, oh, I see why they break their foot bones all the time. I couldn't imagine that. Like just think, like think of yeah. You mentioned like his toes are so long. Imagine shoving your fingers into toes. Like you're going to have some damage done there if you're running up and down uh, a floor with that much kind of because you see how bony they still are. Like you don't have a lot of fat on your foot. No, when you elongate at it over a you know two feet, that's oh what happens. Gosh. I mean, Ben's also got video of Wemby coming through the metal detector. He has to duck under the metal detector yeah. to get in. I'm looking to try to get a uh, a Steve jersey, Steve with three E's. You don't, you, you don't want the ho you fat? No, no, yeah, no. It is the Steve ho you fat. You Steve want, with three e's. All, I want the whole thing. The, the, I whole want arch. the whole thing. It's like a, it. it's an it's an incredibly ridiculous name uh, that he has there, um, and apparently it is his his re- real name. Um, all right, Steve. Okay, well, yeah, Victor Wimbignana. Lived up to the hype. Really fun to watch. If you if you have a chance and he's on TV again, do you, it. You can. Uh, in fact, they're doing oh. this again tomorrow uh, during our show. Oh, they're really? playing it tomorrow at 1. Listen to us. Watch the TV. Have it going at the same time. All right, perfect. Um, okay. Coming up next, we got to get to our man, Ryan Horvat. We are going to talk all things betting. The Stellars. They are the biggest 
underdogs in their franchise since the NFL became a thing. Here's Danny. Or here's uh, Will Ortner with a Sports Center update. Hey guys, be easy on Will. He's got a Sports Center update. Second one ever. Go. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. He joins us every Wednesday at 1.30, and on the line right now is BetMGM Tonight host and Odyssey Sports Betting Insider. Ryan Horvath, Insider Calls, brought to you by BetMGM. Go check out all the latest lines today on the BetMGM app. Also, be sure to listen to the BetMGM Tonight podcast. For more of Ryan's analysis, just search BetMGM wherever you find your podcast. Ryan, what's going on, man? How you doing? Pretty good, guys. Getting excited, uh, getting a little bit closer to the weekend, which is always good, of course, and another big weekend, especially in the Pac-12 with uh, UCLA 3-point underdogs last Friday night. Loved them on the money line against Washington. I, I, I like this Washington program. Obviously, they've turned things around since moving on from Jimmy Lake, but still some problems on the defensive side of the ball like we saw on Friday night in that secondary, so... Uh, luckily stayed hot in college football. Hopefully no regression this weekend and I could continue to win. Okay. I I've got a big question because we're due for one. We've had like an upset here or there. Doesn't this weekend just feel like if to me, it feels like this is going to be the weekend where all hell breaks loose and we have, we're good for one or two every year. I have a feeling in my stomach that this is going to be the all hell breaks loose weekend because there are so many games in the pac 12 and across the country that you can point to and say, oh, this one has upset written all over it. Yeah, and some that maybe you couldn't even predict, right? Like, right. obviously, Texas A&M has looked terrible this mm-hmm. season, especially on the offensive side of the ball. You have Jimbo still running the same offense that he ran in 1996 for some reason. His, you know, loose-leaf papers blowing all across <laughs> the field. And they still have a bunch of talent, though, and obviously they always play Alabama competitive. I do like Alabama, though, in that spot. I don't think there's going to be any letdown, although we have to wait and see what's up with Bryce Young, obviously, who they lose last last week, the Heisman. Um, but you got that one that seems like it could be a trap. Texas, Oklahoma. Yep. You know, I, I, Oklahoma doesn't look very good right now. I know a lot of people expect Texas to go in there and take care of business. I could see Oklahoma winning that game. The one that's really interesting to me is Tennessee LSU and the SEC because Tennessee's looked very good this season, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And LSU, we figured it was going to be a rebuild for Brian Kelly. They haven't looked very good. And it's only a three-point spread where Tennessee's only a three-point favorite. I know they're at, uh, right now without Cedric Tillman, one of their better wide receivers, their best wide receiver, but still, I feel like that could be a trap one. And then the one that scares me the most, the one that I could see going down as an upset, Utah hits the road to take on UCLA. Yeah. And so last year, UCLA got absolutely demolished. They I bet Utah in that game, and I was shocked that they were only six-and-a-half-point favorites at home. I believe the final score was 44-24. to 24. You know, Utah right now, four-game winning streak. They beat up on Oregon State, as predicted last weekend, 42-16. to 16. They're 4-0 against the spread in their last four. 
But still, you look at the spread, and I thought that this was going to get closer to the six. I thought this should be a six-point spread, and instead it was four-and-a-half. Now it's back down to three-and-a-half, and that's because UCLA is getting some love. And the reason being, I'm not going to say we overrated Utah's defense. They're still very solid defensively, but they're having some problems right now stopping the run so much that the last couple of weeks they've changed things up a little bit. They're playing five-man, six-man in the box really looking to sell out and stop the run. And UCLA, they can move the ball on the ground. That's why I liked them last week. We saw what DTR did. And so I feel like that could be an upset. But I'm still rooting for Utah, obviously, and I also bet Utah immediately. But uh, it wouldn't shock me if that's the fishy line of the week, man. All right, well, speaking of fishy lines, your relationship with USC now is, is well known. But they, uh, <laughs> they and uh, Oregon are both favored by 13 coming into this week. Which, which of those games do you have – not necessarily more confidence in, but more confidence in them uh, playing out closer to the expectation. Yeah, that's a great question because Oregon's look much better, especially when they're at home. You know, Bo Nix is just a better quarterback when he's at home. That's been proven. I still don't know if I could lay a big number right now. And then you look at USC, and it's kind of the same thing for me because they're at home with Washington State. I guess my answer to the question would be USC. Like, USC should win that game by two to three touchdowns because of what they bring on the offensive side of the ball. Even though the last couple of weeks, you know, teams have figured some stuff out. You know, Fresno State, we're not going to count that one because Jake Hayner got hurt. And that was never a game in the second half. But Oregon State should have beat them. If they don't throw four interceptions in that game, they win that game. They still only lose by three. Last week, it looks like a blowout. They pick up the 42-25 victory over Arizona State, but that game was actually closer than it looks on paper, especially in the first half. So they should take care of business against Washington State. Here's the only concern, and it's the same concern I have about Utah, but Utah at least gets UCLA, who's nationally ranked right now, look-ahead spot because next Saturday, 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. kickoff Eastern time, it's Utah-USC. So that's my only concern. I do think USC takes care of business. But I could see there being like a backdoor cover just because it is a look-ahead spot. Maybe they go up big in the first half and they look to run the ball and just get the hell out of there in the second half and stay healthy for Utah. Because let's be honest, that game next week is going to decide the Pac-12. Unless UCLA is the surprise team and they run the table, which I just don't know that I see it happening. So I'll answer USC, but I don't know if I could put my money down on it just because I do believe in look-ahead spots, especially in college football. We see it all the time. Okay, NFL, like this is a crossover between NFL and college because I always tend to lean when I'm making uh, my place in my bets or making picks to go, if it's going to be a bad weather game, I always feel like I lean towards the home team in that because of, you know, just being there throughout the course of the week if you have anything rolling through. We're getting into bad weather season uh in yep. in in football how do you address you know the weather conditions across games because we saw one just this past weekend in philly where that was a monsoon that they were playing in between the jags and the eagles and trevor lawrence couldn't hold on to a football yeah and it's a good question because it's something that we have to pay attention to especially like last week's a great example not only all the injuries in college football and in the nfl but then you factor in the weather and with the hurricane i mean We were looking at that where totals were dropping 7 to 10 points, which is insane. Obviously, you know, sharp money comes in on Tuesdays when the limits increase a little bit. So sometimes we'll see a total go from, let's say, 64 to 60, or let's say the overs being played, we'll see it move up from 57 to 61. But to see a total move 10 to 12 points is is absolutely ridiculous, and it's because of the weather. So I always look at it like this, and that's a great example that Jacksonville-Philadelphia game because last Monday, last Sunday when these lines were released, I planned on taking the over. I mean, I know Philadelphia is tough on the defensive side of the ball, but 
you could still get them through their secondary. And Jacksonville, same thing. They've been a much improved team defensively, but I just thought we were going to get some points scored, and we did. You know, Jacksonville went up 14 nothing right away, and then they fell apart because Trevor Lawrence couldn't hold on to the ball. They were about to go up three scores. He loses that fumble, and then the Eagles just turn it on. There are games where – you know, the wind is really what I pay attention to. Another good example from last week, a game where I wanted to play the over and still should have, Baltimore and Buffalo, because both quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen, are looking to push the ball down the field right now. They both have huge arms, and both offenses have been tremendous, and both defenses are beat up in the secondary. The reason I didn't play it had nothing to do with the rain, because these quarterbacks, they'll wear gloves. You know, they'll find ways to grip the ball. You could still pass the ball in the rain, but it, you struggle really in these windy conditions. Like, let's go back to that Buffalo-New England game last year. I know it was cold weather and there was snow, but the wind, like Josh Allen, even with the rocket for an arm, couldn't throw the ball into 25-mile-per-hour winds. So usually on those windy days, if there's going to be strong winds, I like to play unders. I never play the overs with those kind of conditions. But sometimes we'll see a total go from, like, 49 all the way down to 38, 39 because of rain, like we saw in the Clemson game last week. And that's where I'm, I'm going to pounce on the over. You know, if it dips to a certain point, it's like, okay, even if there's weather, you know, let's factor in maybe a blocked punt. Maybe let's factor in if it's a wet football, there's going to be some fumbles, maybe some pick sixes. I just feel like sometimes there's an overreaction, and sometimes the reaction is proper. So I guess long story or long answer is if it's windy, I'm staying away from total. If it's rainy, I still don't care. I'll play some overs. And I'm with you. We're, you know, especially with the weather, it's going to always be home field advantage. If that game's in Buffalo and it's windy and it's cold as hell, Buffalo's been practicing in it all week. We see with some of these rainy conditions, there are teams now that wet the football and they practice all week with a wet football and still advantage home team. So I'm with you. If there's going to be bad weather, I always lean the home team because they're used to it. Like take Lambeau Field, for example. Nobody ever wanted to go play the Packers in the playoffs back in the day because of the cold weather. Now that's changed a little bit because teams like San Francisco could go in there and run the football. But back in the day, nobody wanted to play in negative 15-degree weather, (laughs) especially Los Angeles teams or Florida teams in the playoffs, and that's why you would always lean Green Bay. But things have changed a little bit. All right, last week it felt like the Lions were a can't-miss. Now there's a line that's so absolutely insane, you'd have to think you have to hedge against it. Steelers are favored, or excuse me, the Bills are favored by two scores, 14 points over the Steelers. Explain this to me. How does it get to 14? I know. I know. That's a lot of points. And I know my co-host, a couple of people that we've had on the show this week, really like the Steelers because it's Mike Tomlin in an underdog role. You're getting two touchdowns. That's a lot of points for an NFL game. You know, we're used to seeing 14, 17 and a half, 21 and a half in college football, even in some competitive matchups. But in the NFL, man, I can never lay a spread 14, 14 and a half with the favorite. I have to take the dog. It's either dog or pass. And Buffalo's been great. But, again, I do have some concerns a little bit not only with the secondary. I mean, they have five guys missing on the defensive side of the ball, and I know they still stepped up in the second half last week. I'm more concerned with the play calling. Ken Dorsey is just not Brian Dayball, and I know Josh Allen's great, but I worry, is their offense right now that they're running sustainable because they're not running the football? Josh Allen, 65% of the first downs and touchdowns that they've scored this year have all come on third down. The league average, I believe, is like 28%. It's because – You get that draw play on first down that goes for two yards, and then it's second and eight. Then Josh Allen throws incomplete usually, and then it's third and eight. And they're winning like that right now. I just don't know that they're going to be able to do it all season. So I'd probably have to take the Steelers, you know, with a backdoor cover. Maybe you factor in it as a rookie quarterback making his first official start. They're not very good. On the defensive side of the ball, they're a little overrated, and they lost the best defensive player on the whole planet, T.J. Watt, who's still not playing. 
but I'm with you. I would have to take the 14 points with the Steelers. Now, if that's the Texans or the Jags like years ago, and it's just a terrible franchise and organization and team, and they're not very well coached, maybe you take the favorite. But I, I, I'm not betting 14 points against Mike Tomlin. That's still a very well coached team. Ryan Horvat, you can catch him on uh, BetGM MGM tonight. He's our BetQL Network insider. Thanks for the time, man. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks so much, guys. All right. Uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Ryan Horvat. Insider calls are brought to you by BetMGM. Uh, catch him on BetMGM tonight. He's our Odyssey Sports betting insider. All right. Uh, coming up next, we've got the worst day on the web. Uh, and it's a doozy. Danny Dusty on the fan. It's time for today's worst day on the web with Danny and Dusty on Odyssey and 1080 The Fan. Well, that sucks. All right, it's time for the worst day on the web. Uh, This one is fantastic. Uh, We are going to take a time machine back to May 31st of 2022. It feels like a while ago, but also not that long ago. Right. Um, At that time, okay, the New York Mets were the toast of the town in New York City. They were 34 and 17. They had a 10 and a half game lead. In the NL East, heading into the month of June, the Mets were metsing. They they were playing really well. Enter Sal Licata of SNY on May thirty first after the Mets won and pulled up ten and a half game lead. Well, Memorial Day has come and gone. Tomorrow, matter of fact, is June first. We just showed you the NL East standings. You don't need me to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. The NL East is over. That's right. It's a wrap. No one is touching the Mets. Tweet me the hate all you want about the Jinx. Nonsense. The Mets will be National League Eastern Division champs, and I don't even think the Braves are going to challenge them. The Phils, please, you've seen them. I won't even mention the other two teams. No one else is 500. What are you worried about, Mets fans? The West Coast trip? Yeah, okay. The Mets are only going to get better, and even if the Braves do turn around, it will be too late. The NL East is over. Uh, narrator's voice. It was not too late. Uh, the Atlanta Braves yesterday clinched the NL East with a win and a 101 and 60 record. They finish with a one game lead over the New York Metropolitans who finished second in the NL East. By the way, the Philadelphia Phillies, the forget about them. Won't even mention them. In the playoffs. They are, they are a wild card, just like the New York Mets are. <laughs> so, it's the worst day on the web because that clip was posted to the SNY uh, Twitter page. Uh-huh. At that time, in May, uh-huh. Braves fans were saying, okay, they were tagging the remind me of this Twitter account. Yes. Remind me at the end of the regular season. Which remind me of this did, and not only did Braves fans let Salicata have it, uh huh. Phillies fans let Salicata have it, uh-huh. have it, and, and Mets fans, Mets fans, because he <laughs> said in that clip, he said, "Don't even tell me about the jinx," you and jinxed so Mets it. fans were going, "You jinxed us." And remember, 
the Atlanta Braves last year at the All Star break, they were under five hundred. Mm-hmm. So this is for them. This is like, yeah, no, this is nothing new. Like this, we've done this. We won a World Series under five hundred. Deja so, vu all we'll, over we'll, again. We'll be fine. This is the. Uh, this may be the <laughs> apex of old takes exposed. Literally getting, what is that? Four takes in one uh, two minute segment, like dead wrong. Yeah, he. I mean, he um, went all through it. Just bam, 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 bam. And I mean, I, I don't think he went bam, 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 bam. I mean, he went miss, 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 miss. Like, actually, that's a great point. That is exactly just, what happened. There. I mean. Wow. He's taking it on the chin. Uh, and the internet does not forget and remains undefeated. And that's, uh, that's one of the, it's one of the rough tar- parts for being Sal Licata, who had to, on top of that, there was just a bunch of Braves fans posting him in Braves gear, just sad faced up on, on social media. Uh, that is a, that's a, that's a really bold take when you have a 111 games remaining in the regular season to say that, it was uh, over at that point. There was at that point in the season, there was 111 games to play, and he was saying the division is over. <laughs> Yikes! Some hey Mets are gonna Mets, man. You never know when it's gonna happen. And oh, oh by the way, the Braves ended with the second best record in the National League, uh, only behind the Dodgers, which were on incredible. The new the Los Angeles Dodgers. Like, I don't think people are really understanding and putting Just and appreciating they <laughs> what they've been doing to teams because everybody's been fixated on Aaron Judge. Yeah, go ahead and pull up the run differential again. Uh, the the Dodgers are 110 and 51. Okay. They're the first team to win a 110 outside of the uh, Mariners in forever. Uh, 2001. Yeah. But they've done that with a three game losing streak. Mm-hmm. They have a run differential of plus 329 on the season. Which you have to go back to like uh, J.D. McGillicuddy and the Black Sox type stuff to oh. get into. Yeah, same. Yeah. Give me a hula hand. Okay. For, for reference, here's your other division winners. St. Louis plus 137. The Braves, the reigning World Series champions, plus 183. Your Astros plus two eighteen, the Guardians plus fifty seven, and the Yankees, as good as they are, plus two forty two. Wow! They almost cleared them by a hundred runs. Yeah, what the Dodgers are doing is ridiculous. They're they're winning by a ton. Games aren't close. When they lose, it's close. When they win, it's by a bajillion. They're a really damn good team. They've scored eight hundred and forty one runs this season. <laughs> 841. That's such a ridiculous number. It's nuts. And they've given, which is uh, far and away the most in all of baseball. And this is the crazy part about it. They've given up 512, which is far and away the fewest runs in all of baseball. They are on both ends of the spectrum there. They are great offensively and defensively. Uh, The Doyers playing very good baseball. It's a, it's a, if you're a uh, betting individual, you're not getting a whole lot of value on the Dodgers. Nope. All right. Let's uh, get our number three going with a little foosball, huh? Yes. Uh, is this the wild weekend? We will give you some games as we start looking into week six of college football. And that may lead you to believe this is going to be the chaos weekend. And I'm here for it. Danny Dusty on the fan. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? 
Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.